Genesis chapter 11 today. Genesis chapter 11 and 12. It's not going to be in your handout, so you need to open God's word together with me. It's Genesis chapter 11. You know, Abram is a central figure in the Bible, arguably, other than Jesus Christ, might be one of the most well-known figures in all of the Bible. He holds immense distinction as the father of faith. In fact, it is said of him that our salvation is generated in that all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. And of course, he's talking about this great line of the Messiah that is coming through Abram unto Jesus Christ. Now, Abram's life is a journey. If you study it at all, you know that it's hills and dells, it's peaks and valleys, isn't it? And sometimes his life is full of faith and obedience and trust and devotion to God, and at other times it's full of deceit and half-truths and impatience and trials and heartaches. Well, Abram's life is a, a lot like ours, but none of those negative things really definitively defined who he is. Instead, it's God's grace that defines him. It's God's covenant. It's God's redemption. It's his friendship with Abram that actually defines the man. So reading through the narrative, if you do so, it's from Genesis chapter 11 all the way to chapter 25. If you read through that narrative, you'll read of God's election and redemption and restoration and kingdom mission. So in that way, Abram's life and story is a lot like ours because that's what God is doing with us. So God has chosen us while we were yet sinners. Praise God for that. And in that, he redeemed us from our sin and death and judgment that was against us and his lasting covenant has been established with us through the blood of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who has restored us to an eternal hope. And in God's grace, he has ushered us into a kingdom of light. While we were living in a kingdom of darkness, he transferred us into this glorious kingdom of his son. And then he empowers us to be about his kingdom mission here on earth. So this is what Abram's life is. This is what our life is. It's the gospel that we find in, in the 11th chapter and the 12th chapter of Genesis. So let's read that together. I want to start in verse 27 of chapter 11. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren and had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot his son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. 
Isn't that amazing? This is a man who has no son, married to a wife who is barren, has no, no children, and yet God is saying, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make you of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran And Abram took Sarai's wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai to the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Father, it would be only by your Spirit's instruction and direction, illumination to this word that we will treasure it, know it, live it, be molded by it. So, oh, Father, speak to us, I pray, for how we need to be shaped more like Abram, who is giving us a picture of Jesus. So help us, God, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned, Abram's story actually starts with his father, Terah. His kindred was from the Ur of the Chaldeans, just south of Babylon. It would be about as far as from Gadsden to Atlanta. Now, you know Babylon, it was the place where the people of God rebelled against God. God had said to them following Noah, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's a command. And yet the people in a rebellious way determined that they were not going to fill the earth. They were not going to broadcast themselves around the world. Instead, they decided, let's make a city for ourselves. Let's make a city for ourselves that our name might be known and our glory might be demonstrated. And that's exactly what they were doing there in that land called Babylon. Ur was located just to the south of that in the southern portion of the Mesopotamian area. It was a prosperous, well-populated city. It's what you and I would know today to be southern Iraq. And among the beauty and the resourcefulness of the Euphrates River, the people came there to worship the moon god called Nana. To the south of the Mesopotamian area, it's called Nana. And to the north of that area, it's called Sin, S-I-N. The moon god was among the most popular of all the Mesopotamian pantheon of gods, and it was one that was really served and worshipped. People built the great ziggurat of Ur there in commemoration of the moon god, and they would come to worship him. In Joshua chapter 24, Abram's father and his grandfather actually listed Terah and Nahor as being idolatrous worshipers. They were pagans. No doubt they were worshiping Nana, the moon god, and others. 
Isn't that weird? They have an illustrious family tree all the way back from Noah's son Shem. You can find the dissension there. So you have a faithful family throughout the generations, but somehow along the way, Abram's father and grandfather shift and they become idolatrous. So here's Abram's family who has a heritage of faith who are now heretics, serving and worshiping false gods, walking in false religions, practicing it in that way. But Abram was different. Abram was like Noah. In a sea of paganism, Noah was righteous. Abram, in the vast account of idolatrous worship, Abram was different. Some of you are like that. You're first-generation Christians. You are different from that of your family. The generational sins of your family and the curses of those sins have not continued in you. In the name of Jesus Christ, you have been set free by faith. Others of you have false belief or maybe even unbelief in your family. And yet you have been called to a life of faith and righteousness. You are charting different because Christ has called you to his path. Now you're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but your family's faithlessness is not yours. Like Abram, God has called you and he has commissioned you to a way of life. And that way of life is noted most in your Life and in your testimony and the pursuit that you have, I encourage you to continue in that. You notice in chapter 11, verse 27, that Abram is actually mentioned first in the genealogy that's there in that scripture, but he is not the firstborn. You would think the first would be, the firstborn would be listed first, but that's not the way it is. In fact, more than likely, Nahor is actually the firstborn. Terah named him after his father, Nahor's grandfather. But perhaps it's the preeminence that triggered Moses to put Abram first in this genealogical list. Maybe it's the fact that he is the father of faith, faith that God credited him as righteousness, that the Spirit of God gave the words to Moses some centuries after the fact to name Abram first in this list placing him there before his family because he is walking in the family of God he would have obedient faith likened unto righteousness. In fact, God would credit him as being righteous simply because of his faith. That God would provide for him in the Messiah. That there would be a, a new call in his life. And so what an obedient man this guy was. He was like a lighthouse to the treasure of God's truth among a sea of pagans broadcasting the light of God. So he ought to be listed first. And although the pagan practices surrounded him and his father's house, his hometown was given to it, he rejected that false religion, believing that there was only one true God to be worshiped. Now, Abram wasn't just a man who was called to walk away from waywardness, waywardness of his father and his grandfather. He was a man who was called to walk away from his hometown and all of his kindred. The hometown of Ur would draw people because of its cultural significance, its religious 
affiliation, its economic prosperity, the development of that area. It was said to be a technologically advanced community full of arts and craftsmanship and political power. It was the place to be. It would be much like the world longs to come to the U.S. People long to come to her. And yet God was calling Abram away from that. God was determining that this would not be the place for his kingdom. This would not be the place for his message to go out through all the world. Ur would not be the place. So he told Abram to get up and to go, to leave. Now Terah's father agreed to go with Abram. And Sarai and his wife and Lot his nephew. And the family took the long route to Canaan. In fact, they went north of the Euphrates along that Mesopotamian trade route. They were probably going away from the Arabian desert and all the harsh conditions that would be found there and just follow the trade route near the Euphrates and into the mountainous area where there would be plenty of water for them to drink. I'm talking about a 500-mile journey. And then they pause in Haran. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why they stopped in Haran, but I've got a hunch. I've got a little bit of a, a suspicious way about me. They probably stopped in Haran because of Terah. Terah probably said, now, now here's a popular place of worship of the God that I have been giving myself to all my years. Here's where the God of Nana, known as Sin in that place, here's the God of Nana, the second most prominent place for him to be worshipped in Haran. And Terah said, this is, a, this is probably a good place for me. And they stopped there. And I'm not just talking about stopping and lingering, I'm talking about stopping and living for 130 years. Some of you know the call of God in your life. Sometime in the history of your being, long before the world was put in place, God had determined the call for you. And he extended that call and put you on a journey of faith. And I don't know when it happened. I don't even know how it happened. I don't know the circumstances surrounding it, but you've stopped. You've paused, and what might have been a little bit of a respite in your flesh may have turned into a lingering and now a living distant from God. This is where this family found themselves. They were settling in a place that God did not call them to settle, and the journey of faith that he had called them to in obedience was no longer being taken. Perhaps you know exactly what that's like. Maybe you're not in the place of provision and promise that God has ushered into your being. And so I'm going to encourage you today to get up and start journeying again. To no longer stay in that place that you know God does not want you to be in. That place of sin, that place in rebellion, that place which is not mobilizing you in faith to the way and the will and the walk of Christ Jesus. Move again. That means for some of you, it's going to be pulling up some stake and getting rid of some, some old possessions and saying farewell to some sinful friends and relationships because they are hindering you in the place that God wants you to be. 
And obediently, God is calling for you to move. Maybe it's spiritually, maybe it's vocationally, maybe it's relationally, maybe it's missionally, but God is telling you to move. And I assure you that if you'll take a step in faith and move towards God, his grace will satisfy your every need along the way. It'll It'll be an abundant life. That's what Jesus has come to provide for us. Maybe you're like Abram, you have an influence in your life that has been allowed to supersede the voice of the Holy Spirit. Abram's father was probably that person. I think we need to pause and just think for a minute about Terah. Because we might call him spiritually apathetic, but my friends, Terah isn't just spiritually apathetic. He is calculated as an enemy of God. This isn't somebody who's just causing you to stumble. This is an enemy of God who is calling you to stay in the camp with him. His belief in worshiping the created, the moon, is an affront to the creator who demands that he alone be worshiped. His spiritual persuasion is not a personal opinion. It's an outright rebellion against the one true God of the universe So I'm not just talking about Terah here. I'm talking about anyone who denies the general revelation of God, the very specific revelation of God, who is Jesus Christ, his son, and the word of God, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. Terah refused to move. And so he died in that pagan land with its sinful practices. He died at 205 years old, a sinner without faith in the true God who would provide a redeemer through his own offspring. He died and remains eternally separated from God in his grace and his love. He died without saving faith because the God of this world had lured him into a web of false religions and false beliefs and practices. He died in his sin. Uh, the journey would have only been five to six hundred more miles down into the promised land, but the five or six hundred miles was not what stopped him from moving in faith. You know, he was only inches away from salvation. He just needed to move from his head to his heart. There's no question in my mind that God's mandate to Abram precipitated their movement from Ur to Canaan, and pausing there in Haran. It was the momentous decision that prompted them to move this divine call of God. So he knew the call of God for his family. Abram trusted God enough to obey his command, departing his homeland and convincing his father and his nephew to go with him along with his wife. Abram must have vocalized his rejection of all this false worship that was happening all this idolatry that was going on he must have communicated that very clearly and pointed it out in his in his family including his father and grandfather and the culture that was surrounding them abram was certain that the moon god had never spoken to him there's no god with a mouth that works or an ear that actually hears but abram had heard from the voice of the true living god And there's no question he had uttered that to his family. Surely, Tara saw the absolute reverence, the reverential fear that Abram had of God as he heard him mandate, get up and move. And yet, Tara determined that he wasn't going to serve the God 
that Abram had talked so strongly about. So he dies outside of the promises of God. My friend, if you're lingering in sin, I'm asking you not to die in that place. I'm asking you to consider for a moment that if you remain there, you are going to get more comfortable there. And your heart that is hardening with every day and your will that is more obstinate every day will allow you to settle in that place and you just might die without the presence of God. Why stay there? What's keeping you there? Have you thought about that? Why you're not willing to move in faith unto Jesus Christ? Why you're not willing to believe and repent as he calls us to do? Have you thought about that? What's keeping you there? What voice are you listening to? What, what's the end result? If God is gracious to you, he will flash in your mind what the end result of you staying in that place is. And when you see that, you just might turn to the God of grace who is offering you new life, who offers you a life in which the old passes away and the new comes, I pray that you'll move from that place you're lingering. I say it in love that if you don't move in faith and obedience, you are going to die in your disobedience. So don't linger in those places where persons of faith and righteousness don't belong and don't linger in that place where they ignore disobediently the call of God. Listen, that kind of passivity can result and does in death, eternally so. So following his father's death, God speaks to Abram again and he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, if you haven't picked it up yet, why don't you look at your handout? Because I've got some points in there that I want you to pay attention to. Simple points. But nonetheless, God's call for us from this text. One of the many, many encouragements of Genesis chapter 12 is the reality that God knows us. Just simply that God knows us. He knows our names. He knows where we live. He knows all about our experiences. He knows our family. He knows the story of our family, the struggles, the successes that we as a family have had. He knows exactly where to find us at any given moment. God knows us. Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, a place that was dedicated to the gods that populated that area the people, of course, had rejected the true God and they were serving these false gods. It was a busy city with a lot of people coming and going, constantly coming and going, observing the rituals of their false worship. The city was a constant flow of people. But the Lord knew Abram among this sea of people, his heritage, his present condition, his future. God knew him. And I can tell you with all certainty, God knows us. And you're coming and you're going in the mix of folks around you, in the past, in the present, in the future. God knows you. He knows you personally. God knows us. So encouraging. And it's not just that God knows us, but he takes the initiative to come to us. 
He comes to us taking the first move. That's a wonderful reality. I like the way John Phillips wrote about it in his commentary. He said, out of the depths of his great heart of love, God spoke to the depths of Abram's empty, yearning heart. He spoke to him because that is his way. Why would God speak to you? Why would God not allow you just to stay in that place of sin and linger there where you're going to die in your sin separated from him? I'll tell you why, because that's his way. He's an unconditional lover. Oh, he wants to you to come to faith and belief and repentance, to know his love for you. And so he's initiating the first move. He's not asking you to move first. He's initiating the first move. That's what this message is all about. For those of you who are knowers of Christ, you called on him to be saved, but you find yourself in a place like Haran, a place you don't need to be, a place that God did not dictate for you to be, a place where sin is. He's saying, I'm taking the first move. I'm calling you to step out of that. He's not waiting on you. He's moved to you this morning. He's calling to you. He's ushering to you in his time of grace. So the Lord takes the, the initiative. He seeks us out. He desires to eradicate everything in our heart and lives that destroy us, our unbelief, our waywardness, our idolatry, sin, and rebellion. And even as his spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, he is graciously pouring out his grace to us that we might repent with godly sorrow and exercise faith. This is what God is doing. He's initiating in this way. The Lord makes the first move, even giving us the grace to respond to his movement. Everything is about him and for his glory. So my friends, wherever you find yourself this morning, the Lord's arm is not too short to reach you. No matter the depth of our sin, the Lord's arm is not too short to lift us out of that. No matter how far you've journeyed away from him, it's the heart of the shepherd that seeks you out this morning, brings you back to his fold puts you amongst his sheep that's the love that God has for us he knows you he knows where you are and in his love he is initiating his movement towards you today giving you faith to move forward to receive him his love is unconditional and complete you can hear it when Jesus says to all people come to me come to me he's making the first move and then the Lord calls us more extensively than we could ever imagine. This is where I think a lot of Christians might falter. Is that they hear the Lord, they know the Lord knows them, they hear the Lord calling to them to be saved, but yet they don't envision the grandness of God's call in their life. I can tell you his call in our lives is far greater than we have ever imagined. It was for Abram. I mean, in the end, Abram wasn't just called to the land of Canaan. Abram was called to a city whose foundation and structure was built by God himself. He wasn't just going to a land that was populated by people. Ultimately, he was going to an eternal kingdom. He was going to be ushered into a spiritual kingdom here on earth, but that kingdom is going to be transformed when the citizenship of heaven 
actually resides in heaven, the new heaven, the new earth. Somehow, God in his grace gave Abram the picture of that. I want you to leave this place of yours, Ur the Chaldeans, and I want you to go. I'll tell you when you get there. Didn't even tell him the direction. He just said go. And he's guiding him along the way to walk and journey. And of course, you know the narrative. I'll, I'll get back to the notes in a minute. But you know the narrative. He goes through the upper part of what is now known as Israel, all the way down to the southern part of Israel. But in the end... He needed to imagine something far greater that God had in mind because God was going to show him a celestial kingdom. God was going to show him an eternal kingdom. He was going to put in his heart, as Hebrews 11 says, he was going to put in his heart a vision for the new heaven and the new earth in which the city of heaven would come and God would dwell with people and he would be our God forever. But the Lord calls Abram on a journey of faith and he called him to a kingdom that he would later reveal. Imagine the faith that it would take, not knowing the exact destination or even the description of the land. But Abram trusted the goodness of God and so can we. Listen, you and I are on a journey. Some of you find the journey pretty tumultuous right now. You find the travel difficult. Maybe it's the health that, that is uh, not good, and it's a, it's a tiresome journey. It's a rocky, steep, difficult journey you find yourself on. Some of you, it's the relational fractures of your family. It's the consequences of your family not living for Christ, not being given to the things of the Spirit, not following the Word of God. And those consequences have a manifestation all the way to you, and you find yourself constantly having to deal with this. It's a struggle. Listen, you are journeying by faith, not by sight. You've got to have your, your eye on a kingdom, on a heaven that is to come, that you're just traveling through this land, moving to that land. There are things that God is teaching you right now in the difficulty of this journey that are going to open up the treasures of heaven all the more. The rewards are going to be greater for you. The glory of God is going to be more widely known because of you. And the abundance of Christ that is found in the midst of your weakness is going to be found by you on this very difficult journey. I say keep journeying. Keep traveling. Have a greater extensive vision of what God is doing in your life. So Abram is on this journey. And his journey is to find this city ultimately whose designer and builder is God. Now Abram's journey is our journey. He knows us. He comes to provide the means of our salvation to indwell us and put us on mission. He's called us to that. So Abram is journeying now from Haran and he's going to travel nearly 600 miles all the way down to Shechem. You know what he does there in Shechem? He finds two things that he probably wasn't expecting. First of all, he finds the land is full of Canaanites. These are the descendants of Noah that Noah has actually cursed. And he finds the land full of them, Canaanites. And at Shechem, he finds one of the most prominent cities of the Canaanites that, are dedicate, that is dedicated to their pagan idolatry. <laughs> it's like I've journeyed all this way to live among a people who have rejected you, been cursed by you, and now worship something other than you. That's where he finds himself. So you know what he does? He builds an altar right there at the oak tree 
known for the pagan worship in the land. He builds an altar and he worships the name of the Lord, his God. And then from there he gets up and he's moving south. He finds Bethel to his right, the city of Ai on his left. And there at the eastern point, he builds an altar to the Lord his God. And from there, he gets up and he goes south towards the Dead Sea to the Negev. It's the place of the wilderness where our Lord spent so many hours and days praying to his father. It's there where David found rescue when he was hiding from Saul. It's there in the Negev that no doubt Abram worships the Lord his God. And then we find at the very last verse of verse thir chapter 13 that he moves back up to what is now the southern point of the West Bank. And there in the city of Haran, he builds an altar and he worships the name of the Lord, his God. Now, you know what God is doing in him in that moment? You know what Abram is doing? From the north to the south, he is publicly declaring this land belongs to God. This land ought to be a place that worships the one true God. He is declaring that to be the case. Now, it will take centuries before the fulfillment of the promises of God are gonna be known in that land. But what Abram is doing is he is declaring it to be so. Now, listen to me. God knows where you are. He knows you very personally. He is calling unto you making the first move. He is inviting you to a journey, a journey that is far more broad than you could ever imagine. So he puts his promises and his word before you, his spirit to live in you. And your job, my job, is to worship him. And the places that you go from the north to the south and anywhere in between, in your workplace, in your home, in your school, in your community, around the world, to worship him, to declare the Lord alone is to be worshiped, that his name alone is great, and that this land belongs to him. So do people understand in your school that that is a school declared unto the Lord? Do people know in your office or in your factory or in your workplace, this is a place declared to belong to the Lord? Does your family, the people coming and going, the neighbors, the friends in your home, do they know this is a place that is declared unto the worship of God? This is the place where God's name will be known. Do they know it in you? They'll know it in you when you understand the call of God in your life. They'll know it in you when you have not been given to a kingdom of this world, but a kingdom that has yet to be seen. Walk in faith, Meadowbrook. Walk in faith to the glory of King Jesus. Let's pray. In the treasure of this quiet moment, Lord, with your word right there in our mind, let it travel the 11 inches from our mind to our heart.
Let it be evident in our mouth, in our hands, in our feet, in all of our going and doing, that Christ, our Lord, is to be praised and worshiped and obeyed. Oh Lord, with your grace, find us faithful. I pray to the glory of Jesus in his name.